Um, so with that said, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We are in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. This is week two, and here comes the bride. And last week, we, we talked about the very last command that Jesus gave. Uh, Jesus gave the Great Commission, and, and we looked at the Acts version of that. There, the Great Commission is recorded in all four of the Gospels and the book of Acts. In fact, it is the only command of Jesus that is recorded in, in all of those books. And so, last week we talked about Acts chapter 1 and kind of the Great Commission. Specifically, let me just read it, uh, 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, Jesus is saying, I want you to be my witness. I want you to share this story, but I'm going to give you power to do it. The power that I send is, is the power that, that is coming to you, is coming to you so that you may share this story. You may share the gospel. You may multiply the church. You may make disciples around this world. That's, that's essentially what Jesus said right before he ascended into heaven. And so now um, we're going to look at what is known as Pentecost, okay? So, the church was born in power, right? From the initial signs and wonders that accompanied the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, really to the conversion of thousands uh, when they heard Peter preach um, uh, this, this powerful message later on in chapter 2. The church began as a powerful people movement, and, and it continues really to prevail over, over the gates of hell. It really does. Uh, and that is by the power of the Spirit of God, okay? So, a power is, we're going to just going to define it, is energy or force applied to an object in order uh, to influence or control it, all right? So, um, who else, when thinking about the early church, when thinking about what happened, you had this group, uh, it kind of started off as 12, but then we, all of the disciples completely, the entire church was numbered at 120 people. Okay, so this group of 120 people led by the 12, who then again we had three focus leaders there, and, and Peter was kind of uh, leading the charge. And 120 people in all completely changed the world. Completely changed the world. That's why we're here today, because of what this group of 120 people did. They were courageous and bold and shared that message. They were used by the Spirit of God to share what they knew. But none of them had the power to do that on their own, right? Not, not a single one of them. Peter, on his best day, at his best moment, did not have the power on his own to transform the world. He just didn't. Peter, start, as you read the Gospels, Peter starts as a coward. He really does. He starts as a coward. And, and just in, in this chapter, in Acts chapter 2, we see him give one of the most powerful sermons in all of history. Peter was transformed not because he was great or he was intelligent or he was strong. Peter is transformed because the Spirit of God worked through him. And it changed the world. No one has the power to do what these people did except for the Holy Spirit. No man could have pounded in, not, not, even, not even Caesar, uh, in, who was ruling the, really the known world at this time, had the power to change the world the way that the church did. That happened because the Christians, the church, were willing to be witnesses for Jesus Christ, 
They were willing to be used by the Spirit of God to be witnesses for Jesus Christ and multiply his kingdom on earth. This Christian witness, empowered by the Spirit, was really um, fueled the early church growth, and it began as an uh, a work of the apostles, and it was uh, the faithful followers who multiplied disciples across communities that really, really made the church explode. It wasn't just the 12 apostles who did all the work. It was the average person, okay? And so, um, according to, to Kenneth, I forget how you say his name, Latourette, um, he wrote a, a book called A History of the Expansion of Christianity. Um, historians believe that the chief agents in the expansion of Christianity appear not to have been those who made it their profession, right? So it wasn't missionaries and apostles and pastors that really made Christianity spread around the, gro- spread around the globe to the everyday man. It was the people who were transformed by the gospel. It, it, was, the, it was the slave who was working. It was, it was the one who was wor- in the market selling things and, and meeting people and talking to people and sharing about what, what he's gone through and, and how he's, he's repented of sin and has been forgiven and how now he has this power to share and this courage and is a new person. It's the everyday person who spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I really believe that that's true today. I, I believe that, that the, the church, the expansion of the church today is due in large part, not because of pastors and missionaries who do this full-time, but because of people like you, because of people who have been transformed by the gospel, right? And who have your everyday life and have your, your everyday, whether you go to work or stay at home, you have friends and family members and neighbors and, and people that you love and care about and that you interact with. And you, if you share what you know, like the song said, if you share the treasure that you have, man, incredible things happen. And incredible things happen because the Spirit of God shows up. The Spirit of God works through you. Those who had their lives changed simply talked about it to others. That's all they did. And John, in uh, the book of 1 John, he, he really just kind of matter-of-factly discusses this. He says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his sons, Jesus Christ. That's 1 John 1. Essentially, he's saying, I guess the, the song paraphrases it. Look, I have a treasure and I want to share it. You can have it too. You can be one of us. We don't have to hide it. We don't have to divide it. It's available to everybody. Our lives, our actions, our conduct reveal faithfulness but we have to also remember that we need to proclaim who we're faithful to. We talked last week about how Jesus' teachings and Jesus' works go hand in hand. You cannot separate what Jesus taught from what Jesus did. Okay, so if, if we are living our life and we're living for Jesus, but we never say a word, we never share the gospel with our words to anybody, then we're not sharing the gospel at all. If we just go and we say, you know what, I'm going to serve the poor and I'm going to shovel my neighbor's driveway because I love people and I want to see them come to Christ. No one has ever come to Christ because their neighbor uh, shoveled their driveway and ran away, right? You, you, you've got to share that message. You know, you, and it's simple. You say, I love you, I care about you, and here's why. 
Let me tell you about where I've been and where I am now. Let, let me tell you about just what I believe. You know what? Let, let's, let's go to coffee and let's just talk a little bit. Let me tell you why I'm so confident right now. I have struggles. I have, I have problems. But let me tell you where my faith resides. That's how, that's how the gospel is spread. Remain silent and let others interpret our actions is wrong. It is. Why on earth would we just, would we try to serve people and then say nothing and let others interpret what we're doing? We have to explain to them why we care, why we're doing what we're doing. We have to speak even when we don't know much about the Bible. We have to speak even when it's inconvenient, when you don't have time. Look, God is bigger than our sins, God is bigger than our ignorance, and God is even bigger than our pride. And he will honor his words in our mouth. To witness is to speak. We have the power to obey, obey to be a witness, and, and to speak, and to plant, and to water. That's 1 Corinthians 3. The Spirit has the power to save. We don't save anybody. Uh, it, it's not by my power or my authority that anyone, even myself, is saved. It's by His. But what I can do is I can plant and I can water. I can share the message. I can demonstrate love. I can, I can show genuine service to someone. I can be intentional about reaching out. And I can worship authentically. I, I can do those things. I can share the message of salvation to anybody who's willing to listen. By God's command and His power, we are a church that is serious about multiplication. And what I mean is, this specific church, Heights Baptist Church, is serious about multiplication. We care about seeing people come to Christ. We care about making disciples. We want to see people repent and transformed and love Jesus. We're not repulsed by sinners. We, we expect them to be that way. We expect the lost to act like the lost. And it, man, do we get to celebrate when someone turns from a horrible life and turns to Jesus. Look, we care about making disciples. We are not interested in focusing our eyes on ourselves, but on the world. And that's exactly what the early church did. The early church did not focus on themselves. They most certainly did not focus on themselves. They focused on the world. But by God's grace, we are here for the mission of Jesus. And we're going to use the power that Jesus sent us to accomplish the mission that he gave us. And we talked about this. Um, I was in the army and... and uh, before we deployed, the army gives you what you need, right? They give you, you know, to the, to the lowest bidder, whoever made it. A lot of the equipment is junk. But um, they give you what they think you need, okay? And so uh, before we're deploying, they're training you like crazy. You're constantly training. They're giving you new equipment, and you have to train on this new equipment. Before you would go into Iraq, when you'd fly over there, you'd spend some time in Kuwait, and you'd go to, you'd go to firing ranges, and you'd do all these different drills to be ready for that war. Jesus did the same thing. And 
The army does that so that you can accomplish the mission they give you. Jesus does the same thing, but he says, you know, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you my spirit, and I'm going to empower you and equip you to accomplish the mission that I am giving you. Not the mission that you want, not the mission that glorifies yourself, not the mission that, that you decide later to do, but the mission that I'm giving you, and that mission is to make disciples, multiply the church. So that's where we are. In Acts chapter 2, Jesus has ascended into heaven, and we're on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is not a Christian name. It was actually a Jewish feast, and so uh, they're there. This is, uh, this is uh, it's Jesus ascended, and they're 10 days after Jesus has ascended. We know this because uh, the scriptures tell us that Jesus uh, was on earth for 40 days uh, after he resurrected. And Pentecost means 50th because it is 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits, uh, which takes place really the day after uh, Passover, meaning Pentecost. Um, so we have 50 days. We're 50 days removed from when Jesus resurrected from the dead. I know that's confusing, uh, but that's, that's why Pentecost is called Pentecost, because it means 50th, right? So we're 50 days after Jesus uh, resurrected from the dead and 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven. Okay, um, which by the way, that puts this on a Sunday. That puts Pentecost, if you, if you do the numbers and you, you do it all, uh, it puts Pentecost on a Sunday. So uh, one of the reasons that we worship on Sunday and Saturday, and, or excuse me, instead of Saturday, because the Sabbath was on Friday night to Saturday night, we worship on Sunday, one, because Jesus resurrected on Sunday, but two, uh, we receive the Holy Spirit on Sunday, right? And, and so that's, why, that's one of the reasons why uh, we switched our worship. So, if you want to read more about the feasts and, and how they point to Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit, you can read Leviticus chapter 23, and you can find out more about those feasts. But just understand that Pentecost means 50th because it's 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits. So the church remains in Jerusalem for 10 days after Jesus ascended. That's right, that. 10 days. Jesus has gone into heaven. He's ascended. He's given them the command. He said, wait here, wait here. Don't do anything. I'm going to send you power. And so now 10 days later, the church is here. The church is in Jerusalem. And they're worshiping and they're praying and they're coming on this feast, this holiday called Pentecost. Okay? And so uh, the ten, one thing we have to note, all right, in, in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. All right, so they're coming together. What they're doing is they're worshiping God together. They're worshiping and praying for 10 days. This is incredible. 10 days, they're worshiping and they're praying. That's what they're doing. But what we have to understand is that even though they devoted themselves to prayer and to worship, and they're unified in this, this prayer and this worship and this unity did not bring about Pentecost. It did not happen. Pentecost, the Spirit's arrival, did not happen because the church was praying. Okay? Uh, the church did not cause Pentecost. God caused Pentecost. God caused the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Many people believe that the church praying caused Pentecost, and, and what they also believe is that another devotion to prayer like this could cause or could bring about a second Pentecost. That, that's not true. Don't get caught up in that belief. It is not true. 
We only, there's one Pentecost. We only need one Pentecost, just like we only need one crucifixion and one resurrection. God sent the Holy Spirit because he wanted to empower us, because he's gracious and he wanted us to, to be able to accomplish the mission that he has given us. He did not send us the Spirit because we wanted it, okay? There cannot be another Pentecost, just like there cannot be another resurrection. It's not needed, okay? Understand that. Understand prayer is, essential, is an essential element to spiritual power, but we cannot receive another Pentecost any more, any more than we can receive another crucifixion or another resurrection. We don't need it. So here they are. They're on. They're at, the day of Pentecost has arrived. They're all together in one place. And the verse 2 says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's what the Scripture says. Okay. The Spirit came. The Spirit came. The Spirit now, the Spirit shows up. They're all together. It's Pentecost. Uh, Jesus had promised this power. The Spirit comes in. It doesn't, it says, like a rushing wind. It doesn't say in a rushing wind, but the Spirit shows up uh, very loudly and visibly, and they, they know that something's happened. One thing we have to understand, though, is the Spirit was active before Pentecost was ever mentioned. Before Pentecost ever, uh, before this day in history, the day where the Spirit shows up, the Spirit was already active in the world. So, if that's the case, then why? Or why is Pentecost so important? Now, you know, we can, we can the, uh, excuse me, the Spirit is mentioned in Genesis, Judges, and 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, and then it is also mentioned frequently in the life of Jesus. Okay, I'm sure if you went through and, and you uh, did a study on mentions of the Holy Spirit in the Old and New Testaments before Pentecost, I'm sure you could find way more examples than, than what I found. I just found the easiest ones to point to, all right? But the Spirit is working. The Spirit is, is working in God's people. The Spirit is working through Jesus Christ. So why is Pentecost important? If the Spirit's already working, and the Spirit has already involved himself in the world, then why is Pentecost so significant? It's an it's a obvious question. And there are two reasons. There are two major changes that happen after this day. First one is that the Spirit would live in people, not just use them. The Spirit lives in people. That's true to this day. And then the second one, the second change, the second major change, is that the Spirit's presence, and this is vital that we understand this, the Spirit's presence would no longer be temporary. The Spirit is not here for a short time. The Spirit is here permanently. Okay? So what we have after Pentecost is that the Spirit would live in people permanently, forever. Whereas before, the Spirit would come and use people for a specific purpose and then depart. 
That's a big change. And this is something that Christians, modern Christians, I don't know if it's just American Christians or Christians all over the world today, get confused with. The Spirit at Pentecost came to stay. So when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, then we receive this same power forever. Forever. The Spirit will never leave someone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. Ever. Jesus promises this. This is just one of the examples in Scripture that, that shows us. He promises this in, in John chapter 14. Jesus is talking here. He's promising the Holy Spirit. John 14, beginning with verse 16, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's Jesus promising the Holy Spirit. And again, that's just one example. Christians, for some reason, are tricked into believing that the Spirit will leave us as though that has ever been something that God has done. God has never, ever, ever left his people. In fact, God has always been with his people. He has never once left them from the beginning of Genesis to the, to the return of Christ in, in Revelation. God has promised to remain faithful and never to abandon us. That is one of the, the, just the rock-solid things that we have in our faith. No matter how hard this life is, no matter how far down the road of, of sin I find myself, what I know is that God will never leave me. I can always turn around. I can always repent. God has promised time and time again never to leave his people, ever ever. And it's true in the Old Covenant. He promises to remain uh, in Deuteronomy 31, Joshua 1, 1 Kings 8, 1 Chronicles 28, and Isaiah 41. Again, just to name the most prominent examples of God promising this. I, I just went through and found them. I guarantee you could find more. God promises us that he will never, ever leave us, ever. Yet Christians think that the Spirit is quick to depart when we fail. So something's got to give here. Either, either what we're saying is the Spirit's not really God, right? And, and therefore it, the, the promises of God don't apply to Him. Or we're saying, I can't believe the promises of God. I can't trust God's Word. What we, what we know is that the Spirit, will, God will never leave us, and the Spirit is God. And the Spirit will never leave us. God will never leave us. And he promises us this, this. And so we have to ask, you know, when will we actually begin to believe the promises of God instead of the smooth words of our accuser? God has promised never to leave us. And those in Christ should never forget that. It's, it's vital that we understand this. That's why I keep repeating and repeating and repeating. God will never leave us. The Spirit is God. The Spirit will never leave you if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. I've heard I've, people say this, you know, so-and-so has, has lost the Spirit, or, or the church has lost the Spirit. The, the Spirit's no longer in the church. That is... It's a crock, is what that is. That is so untrue. It is. 
The Spirit will not leave those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. The church was promised by Jesus Christ himself, the Spirit forever. Forever. That is incredible that the, that the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is in us forever. We have to believe that. We have to believe it. it, it it's, to be honest, this idea that the Spirit has left so-and-so or so-and-so, you know, or that this church doesn't have the Spirit anymore or whatever, to be honest, I really think it's just, a, just kind of a, a, a weak way to, to gossip. I do. That's what I think. I, I think that it's, it's kind of cowardice. Um, it's a cowardice way to, to criticize another person or a church. That's what it is. It's a form of gossip, which, again, doesn't make sense. It, why on earth would you say that about a person or a church who loves Jesus? You notice, again, talking about gossip and all of this business, you notice that before the Spirit arrived, before the day of Pentecost, the church was united in faith, in worship, in prayer, in vision, and in mission. The church is united in all of these things before the Spirit showed up to, to empower them. There is no reason for any Christian church in the entire world not to have unity in these same six things. How on earth could, could we not be united under our mission of making disciples? Uh, why on earth would that divide any Christian? They knew exactly what to do. They were united in prayer. They are united in worship. All of these things are united in. Every church should be united in the same way. And when I say every church, I don't mean organization. I mean people who love the Lord, people who love Jesus. I could fly to Boston today and meet another Christian, and I should be united under these same six things. We should be able to worship together, pray together. We should be, we should be on the same mission with the same goals. I might be Baptist, and maybe they're a Methodist, but we have the same pursuit of making disciples of Jesus Christ. Spirit of God will never, ever leave us. I say us. I guess there is one caveat because I mean people who have put their faith in Christ. If you have not put your faith in Christ, you have not received the Spirit, so you're kind of excluded from that anyway. And if that's you, then we're glad you're here and we're glad you're joining us. Let me just, and I'm sharing some power that's available to you through Jesus Christ. But if you're in Christ, the Spirit of God will never leave you. You have to understand that. You have to understand that. That's basic Christian doctrine that, for some reason, smart Christians like to forget. I'm telling you to stop believing that lie. If you're in Christ, you've put your faith in Him as Lord. He promises your salvation from sin as well as the permanent power through the Holy Spirit. Anyone who tells you otherwise is either lying or or confused. Either way, do not listen to them. Listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. So, the Spirit comes, and we know that He comes to stay, right? Everybody's got that. We understand the Spirit is not leaving us. If anybody's confused about that, see me at the prayer wall after this message. I'll be happy to talk to you. So, the Spirit comes, and He's here to stay, but according to 1.5, it says, John baptized with water, and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So then the question is, what in the world does that mean? 
How are we baptized with the Holy Spirit? And does that mean, and, and then the question is, well, why are we still baptizing with water? If it's saying that John baptizes with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit, are we doing something wrong? Okay, I'm kind of backing up because as we move forward, being baptized in the Holy Spirit is something we'll, we'll need to understand. So the Spirit baptized, that's, that's one of the things that he did on Pentecost. It doesn't specifically record it, but that's something that he did when he shows up. So, <clears throat> The word for baptism in Greek really has two meanings. One is literal and the other is figurative. The word literally means to submerge, but the figurative meaning means to be identified with, okay? To be identified with. So, when you're reading the New Testament, the New Testament was written in uh, the Greek, you're reading the New Testament, and you read about baptism, you really have to look at the context in the, and the language to understand what it's talking about, okay? Because in Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, for example, it mentions baptism, but it's talking about the figurative baptism, okay? But, uh, or symbolic. But Paul, in Acts chapter 9, verse 18, is baptized by literally being submerged under the water. Okay, so there's two different instances, and the New Testament talks about both of them using the same word, and it can change the meaning of Scripture if we confuse that. Okay, so sometimes when Scripture is talking about being baptized, it means to be associated with, and sometimes it means to be submerged underwater. The baptism of the Spirit is, is an act of God by which he identified believers with Jesus Christ, kind of forming the body of Christ, the church. And this takes place for the first time at Pentecost. First time at Pentecost. Now, it happens anytime a sinner repents and comes to Christ. It happens, right? Essentially, uh, being baptized in the Spirit is, is you, could, you could change the words around and say, well, he became a Christian or he put his faith in Christ. Once you put your faith in Christ as Lord, you're baptized by the Holy Spirit. You're associated with him. Okay? Happens whenever a sinner trusts Christ and is born again. So, then there's a difference between being baptized by the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, these are two separate meanings. The filling of the Holy Spirit has to do with the power given to us in order to witness and serve according to the Great Commission, Acts 1-8 or Matthew 28. And so, I, to be honest, I think this is what, what probably confuses people into saying the Spirit has left so-and-so or, or, or whatever. The Spirit doesn't leave. Um, the Spirit stays, but there's different separate fillings, I guess you could say, or, yeah, fillings of, of the Spirit. So, Ephesians 5 18 tells us to be filled with the Spirit, and it contrasts that to being drunk on wine, okay? So, we need the Spirit's power constantly if we're going to be witnesses for Christ. If we're going to make disciples and share the gospel and multiply the church, we need the, the power of the Holy Spirit of God, and we need to be filled with the Spirit of God in order to do that, okay? So, the church is baptized by the Spirit here in, in 2, but the church was filled with the Spirit, or the church was filled with the Spirit on Pentecost, but then the Scriptures also record it happening several times after that. Okay, so 
Uh, the church is filled uh, here at Pentecost, but it's also mentioned twice in Acts chapter 4, once in chapter 9, once in chapter 13, all in the book of Acts. Again, you could do a study and find more examples throughout the New Testament, but those were the easiest ones uh, that, that stuck out. Baptism of the Spirit means I belong to Him. The filling of the Spirit or being full in the Spirit is that my body is being used by Him. You understand the difference? Baptism is final. The filling is repeated as God uses us to make disciples for His glory. Baptism involves all believers. The filling of the Spirit involves me. Those are the differences there. So, multiple times you see he was filled with the Spirit, or filled with the Spirit, or they were filled with the Spirit, and that's why. Now, verses five to thirteen, we see that the Spirit speaks. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because. Each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and, and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. Okay, so we have a couple of things to note here. First of all, those are some hard names to pronounce. Okay? Um, that's the first thing. All right? But... Um, one thing you have to know is that the worshiper or the believers are worshiping, not preaching yet. They're, they're worshiping, not preaching yet, okay? Also, they're speaking languages. They're not babbling in unknown tongues like you'll see uh, later in, in the Corinthians and a couple other spots in the New Testament, right? So they're, they're speaking languages that can be understood. They're not, they're not babbling. The Scripture gives us 15 different geographical locations where the people uh, lived, and all of them were understanding what was being said. Okay, so this is really an incredible miracle. But again, uh, we've talked about how my brain works when I study the Scripture, and so sometimes I come up and I say, okay, well, why did God do that? Why did it have to be this way? Okay, and so at Pentecost, the Spirit comes, and they have power, and they're there to multiply the church and make disciples. Why did God work this way? Why did God give them this miracle to, to be able to speak, in not, not in random tongues, but in languages to where other people could hear? Why is that? Because that's important to understand why, work, why God works the way that he does. And it turns out there's, there's a couple of good reasons why he did that. The first one, first reason, is because this miracle at Pentecost is a reversal of the judgment at Babel. It is. Yeah, that, that happens. The Tower of Babel is in Genesis chapter 11, uh, I think verses 1 through, I think, 9. And uh, at Babel, God uses language to divide men, right? Here, he uses language to unite them for his glory. 
at Babel. Uh, they were on their own mission, pursuing their own glory. I, I hope that's convicting when, when we do that, right? And God puts, uh, and what God does at Pentecost is he puts them on his mission. You see, so when, when man is on his own mission and seeking his own glory, God confuses you. But here at Pentecost, he uses language to bring men together. The same thing he used in Genesis 11 to divide them. And then another reason why God does this and records where the people are from is to show us, to show all believers throughout history, that the gospel is for the world. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel is not just for Jews. The gospel is not just for Americans. The gospel is for everyone. The mission Jesus gave us, according to this, what this means, the mission that Jesus gave us is a missional one. We start with where we are and we move out from there. For you and me, that means starting in Billings. Starting, for me, it's starting on Ashley Court. Starting right here in the Heights. And moving out from there. Whether we live in our hometown or across the world, the expectation is that followers of Jesus will multiply the church by making disciples. That's what we'll do. That's why we're here. That's what we must unite around. We unite around the gospel so that we can share it. Like the song said, we'll share what, what treasure I have or however it goes. Sorry, I messed it up. Right? That's where we're here. We're going we're gonna to pass that treasure on. Our mission is to bring the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. And for you and me, that means beginning in Billings. Right here. Not in some sort of check-the-block obligations, sort of overly religious way, but but because we love our Lord and we love people. We love Jesus and we love our city. And, and I, I don't want to share the gospel because I have to do it in order to, to make God happy. I want to share the gospel because I love my city and God is allowing me to be a part of what he's doing in this world. And that's incredible because I don't deserve it. I didn't earn that. We're not here for us. We're here for the, the world, to reach the world, to obey Jesus in reaching the world. Jesus loves the church, but he also loves the world enough to die for it. After you and I were a part of the world at one point. And so rather than being repulsed by, look, at, at Heights Baptist Church, this church, we expect the lost to act lost. We do. I don't expect the lost to act like the church. I think it was Andy Stanley that said, we can't expect the world to act like the church while the church acts like the world. We can't. We cannot expect the lost to act with morality or do anything that will bring glory to God. They can't do it. And so it's our responsibility, our task, and our mission to bring the gospel to the world so that they will glorify God and the church will multiply. So rather than being you know, repulsed by, by what non-Christians involve themselves in, instead we can look at them and say, look at what I have. Look at the forgiveness I've received. Look at the grace that has come to me. Allow me to share that with you. Allow me to pass it on to you. So often, we're more eager to share what we're against than who we're for. And that's wrong. We are for the God of the universe who loves us in spite of our own filthy sin. We're more eager to criticize people, refuse to talk to them. 
D.A. Carson, he's a, a smarty pants in the, in the Christian church, really smart guy. He said, we are never more than poor beggars telling other poor beggars where to find their bread. It's true. We never are. So what, what we have here at Pentecost, what this scripture tells us, what, what God is after, what he wants us to learn is he, he planted the church as a passionate, Jesus-loving, people-reaching organization. Organism even. Not, not, not organization. Organism. Right? We are Jesus-loving, or <clears throat> excuse me, the church, Jesus-loving, people-reaching organism. Not always looking inward and entertaining ourselves, but looking outward for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of making disciples and multiplying the church. John Piper calls it a battleship, not a cruise ship. Engaging the world around us for the glory of God in Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's what we get to take a part in. That the God of the universe, the one who spoke everything you will ever see, hear, or, or sense, or even think about, he created all of that with just his words. Now he's turned around, I forgive you for your filthy lifestyle and all the sins you've ever committed, and by the way, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. And if that doesn't excite you and humble you and make you grateful, then your heart must be made of stone. As this church cares about making disciples, we care about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we care about our city finding Jesus Christ. Look, if, if you're here and, and, and you're not in Jesus Christ, you're skeptical about Christ, or you have questions, I would love to talk to you, not in a judgmental, finger-pointing way, but I would love to just talk to you and maybe have coffee with you or see you over at the prayer wall. I would love to discuss your questions because there are a lot of questions to be answered. But if you are a part of the church, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you need to understand, one, the Spirit will never, ever leave you. If you have put your faith in Jesus, the Spirit will never, ever leave you. But two, he's only going to give you the power. He's given you that power so that you can multiply the church and make disciples. And that's what we're here to do. I pray that you would consider that this week and as we're going and as you go to Fuddruckers or Applebee's or wherever it is. If, you, if you're going out to eat right after this, ask your waitress if you can pray for her. See, what, see how she responds. I guarantee you'll surprise her. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this morning, Lord. God, we thank you for all that you do, Lord. And, and Father, we pray that, God, we pray that we would care about your mission and about your gospel and the way that you love people. Father, we pray that we would love our city the way that you love our city. We pray that, that our hearts would break for what breaks yours and that we would find joy in what brings you joy. Father, I pray that if there is anyone in here today that does not know you, Lord. I pray, I pray that, they would, that they, they would feel led to come talk to me or one of the elders or go over to the prayer wall uh, right now or even after the service, Lord, and, and just ask some, some pointed questions, Lord, and, and, and have those conversations, Lord. And I pray that you would convict, uh, convict them and, and lead them to you and that, that, you, the spirit, uh, that your spirit would answer those questions even. Father, we love you and we praise you and we worship you. And we come before you in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.